Welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole. One more week of show and we are on episode 69. Whoa. Yes, an interesting uh, number. Don't, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, because we are close to 70 now. We are indeed. I think 100 will be... Uh, well, 100 is always the bigger We may have to share milestone. a can of beer at some time. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think so. But yeah, and we have a very interesting topic that is very uh, current, very actual, very discussed mm. everywhere. Of the moment. Yeah, it's the topic of the moment, basically. Mm. I have seen in the last two weeks videos, uh, articles, mentions, right. everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's like a frenzy, isn't it? But before you find out what will be the mm. topic. And uh, it's not porn. No. <laughs> Good point. No, uh, we're going to start, actually, yeah. with some uh, news, right? news hmm. and actually with the first one is some bad news, some well, sad news, I'd mm, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that Stephen Hawking died yeah. uh, a couple, uh, some days ago, mm. actually. Um, I think it was a sad moment for science. For the world. For the world. Yeah. And... It certainly uh, has brought to light, as I have, as I was able to see, mm. to a lot of people who was Stephen Hawking, because mm. uh, maybe a lot of people didn't know who he was, although... The man behind the voice box, right? Exactly. Not only mm. that, but the man that appears in The Simpsons, in yeah. the TV series of uh, uh, Big Bang Theory, Big or Bang in whatever, Bang. they appeared... It was impressive that he yeah. has appeared everywhere. Actually, he had... Even, a- in, a, even in an album. That's right. That's right. A Pink Floyd album. Pink right? Floyd album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the um, the what's it called? The um, the yeah. I'll remember it in a minute. Um, but he had a very good sense of humour. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I, mean, I saw a quote of his, which was that uh, he finds it very difficult to to travel <laughs> without being recognised. Despite even if he wore a wig and dark glasses, the wheelchair gives him away. I mean, he had a quite. You know, quirky sense of humor, which I found really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his uh, his work, obviously, is the thing that defines him. And and I had a, a bit of an idea about. I mean, obviously, he had motor neuron disease, which obviously yeah. changed his entire life. But if you kind of think about it, in a way, he had an opportunity inverted commas, and, yeah. he, and he kind of recognized it himself. You know, he, he said, "You have to make the best of." whatever you get out of life. Mm -hmm. And he was actually able to dedicate himself to thought, wasn't he? Well, what other options you had, right? Yeah, that's what he had available to him. Yeah. And so he was able to dedicate himself to that. And Mm -hmm. obviously he came up with some obviously astounding ideas and so on. So, yeah, um, I think we... Remember Stephen Hawking today mm. as a great person, scientist, thinker. thinker, thinker, yeah, yeah. And we move now to something uh, more amusing, more amusing <laughs> or comic, or I don't know if it's actually very serious or was just a comment, but one head, one headline got uh, our attention, which was. Vladimir Putin plans to put Russians on Mars yeah. in 2019 yeah. and beat SpaceX. That's right. Unfortunately, it's a one-way trip, but you know. Yeah. So, 
the idea is that Russia really thinks that they're going to send manned and unmanned missions to Mars yeah. as early as 2019. I presume it's, it's planning to send the opposition party leaders, I don't know. Probably, still. It's out. an option. Yeah. Right? It's an option. And he also plans to send missions to the moon and deeper into space. Deeper. Yeah. Further, deeper, faster. The now, lip, yeah. the interesting part here to me is yeah. if there's something that we don't know. There's always something we don't know. Yes. Uh, and I'm talking about, for example, the technology that SpaceX has been developing. Yeah. It has been very public. Mm. So everybody's catching up. Everybody knows what the efforts they are doing. Mm to be able to get to Mars, for mm, example. Mm-hmm. On the contrary side, from Russia, yeah. what technology have they been developing to be able to do this trip? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's my point, actually. I mean, yeah. you look at, uh, you know, you look at the um, rocket uh-huh. that they're using to currently yeah. service the International Space Station. It is it's either 50 or 60 years old, that technology. Yes. Right? And, you know, even even NASA, we were talking about the fact that, I think it was a couple of shows ago, yeah. uh, we were talking that, for example, uh, SpaceX has the Falcon, the heavy Falcon, yeah, yeah. and has a certain number of tons of capacity. Oh, yeah, 67 67. Tons. And then NASA gets a guy to do yeah. same thing, but... Uh, with yeah, well, it's got 70 tons, 70 which, is tons. The, which is the... Uh, this new big rocket uh-huh. that the Boeing is contracted uh-huh. to build, yes. and it costs ten times ten times much. more money, and it's not reusable. Exactly. <laughs> so once again, not even NASA, I think, has been able to. I don't know if you call it market themselves or to show themselves the advancement, the things they do. They don't think in a commercial way, do they? No, They're, because they don't have to. Right? And we were talking that probably the best option is for a company to be the first one to arrive to Mars and not the government. Totally. That would be a game changer. Yeah. So we were talking before recording about yeah. could there be a new space race but to Mars and between the US and uh, Russia, maybe even China, I don't know. But, yeah. But um, we were discussing that the best outcome for that race would be if private enterprise got there first. Mm-hmm. Because that would be a game changer. Yes, and we are in a point in which, again, some uh, th- there are tense relationships between the U.S. and in Russia. Mm. And what rushed the Americans to get to the moon was exactly this tension between the governments. Mm. And well, and it was also an attempt to bankrupt uh, yeah. the USSR, right? Yeah, exactly. With the arms. Uh, SDI, you know, the space defense thing of Reaganeering. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. It was an attempt to uh, bleed the Russian economy to death. Yeah. Which it did, right? Yes, actually, yeah. And the Russian economy today, uh, obviously there's huge amounts of corruption, huge. No, uh-huh. It's endemic. Um, it's it's not that robust an economy, is it? It's mm-hmm. heavily reliant on oil exports. Yes. Which is why it's suffering because of the price of oil's down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They haven't got that much other than that. They've kind of put all their eggs in the oil basket. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the next largest export is after oil. Uh, maybe uh, nerve gas, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah. 
but their economy is very fragile, and I don't think yeah. it would actually take much to to tip it again, would it? Yeah, no, and which is why I think they always feel so threatened. I don't know. Uh huh. Uh huh. They feel vulnerable. I don't know. And, but if we start to look in uh, some space facts, mm. space facts. Let's say, <laughs> first, give us a space fact. First uh, country to put uh, satellite in space. Yeah. Russia. Yeah. Uh, a living thing. Russia. Which was with um, uh, what was the name? Laika. Laika. Mm. And then you have the first man in space. Gagarin. Exactly. Mm. So that pushed a lot on the US to be the first ones to arrive to the moon. Yeah, which is where the pressure came from, right? Yes. Political pressure. Exactly. So now uh, they want to finally go to the moon Mm. because they kind of stopped in there, basically. Mm. But it's not... It's not a clash of ideologies anymore, is no. it? It's not uh, capitalism versus communism anymore. Even the Russians realise communism doesn't work. Yeah. But um, uh, dictatorships apparently do work for a period of time. The, so they've got the, that The new thing, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, the Iron Man at the top, you know. Mm-hmm. Clearly North Korea has proved it works. Um, so it's not as if... A space race to Mars would be a clash of ideologies because I think everything's moved on, doesn't yeah. it? Even China is not, it's not really communism, is it? It's uh-huh. socialism, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, what are, they, what are they out to prove? Is it just flexing their economic muscles? Because I don't think Russia's in any position to do that. Yeah. Maybe China is. China, definitely. I mean... The US is living on borrowed money. The rest, the rest of the world's borrowed money, mm-hmm. but they're the they're the currency of last resort, aren't they? Which means the too big to fail, right? Yeah. And now that we mentioned currency and money, aha, uh-huh. uh-huh, that was the entry yes. to go to the next topic. Oh, we didn't even plan that. It's yeah, very no, good. Very good. to the main topic. Yeah, because today we're going to talk about. Blockchain and cryptocurrency. Yeah. And the title of today's show is One Blockchain to Rule Them All. Yes. Yes. You get the reference there, I think. Ah, yeah, if somebody doesn't get the reference... You shouldn't be listening. Probably, yeah, it's maybe <laughs> three years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or 90 years old. Or 90. Yeah. And maybe doesn't listen very well. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, yeah. Blockchain, cryptocurrency... And we're going to talk origins first. We are. We're going to talk origins. And to understand, maybe people can understand what is cryptocurrency and what means blockchain as well. Yeah, well, there's so much buzz around this whole subject that it's kind of like one of those subjects where there's a lot of buzzwords but not a lot of understanding. Exactly. I heard the other day somebody saying that, okay, cryptocurrency, is that has to do with crypts? (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm serious. It actually happened. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, it's because of encryption. Yeah. <laughs> Cryptography, right? Cryptography, yeah. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, it's like cryptocurrency. It's like a, yeah, yeah it could be, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, why don't we start with yeah. origins, right? Yes. We, we seem to have done quite a bit of that recently, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So origins of blockchain. Where where did this stuff come from? So, yeah. um, like I think many technologies or mm-hmm. many ideas, 
Um, uh, blockchain did not emerge out of thin air. No, no. It was actually, again, an example of incremental development, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Um, joining the dots of various ideas to produce a new idea. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, crypto, sorry, blockchain started way back in the very early 90s, in 1991, yeah. in fact. Uh-huh. And uh, what was happening in, 90, in the 1990s? Well, we had a look. And what we uh, uncovered was that the world's first web page was built in 1991 mm-hmm. uh, at CERN Labs in France. And it was put online on August the 6th. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is it was pretty boring. Yeah. But what well, you know, what the hell? Nobody knew how to access it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was 1991. So that was the very, very moment, shall we say, that the internet as you know it today uh, came about. And at the time, and I know because I was there. Me uh, too. You too. A high-performance processor that was running in your personal computer mm-hmm. um, because there were laptops actually in 1991, but they were pretty clunky, right? Um, a high-performance microprocessor ran at a speed of 40 megahertz. It megahertz. And it was lightning fast. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. And in such a small factor, right? Like, exactly. We that was, I think, the biggest point there. We couldn't believe it, right? Yeah. Uh, now, the interesting thing is that today, um, middle-of-the-road speeds for a microprocessor running in a laptop or whatever mm-hmm. is 4 gigahertz. Yeah. Now, that is 100 times faster, faster. right? than what was available in 91. Uh, but I've made a note here that, oddly, my laptop today, which is running at 4 gigahertz, doesn't actually appear to be that much faster, actually, uh-huh. than the one I was using in 1991. Uh-huh. And obviously what's happened is bloatware, you, right? Uh, the more you have, the more you yeah. want to use as the, well, so well, you bloated anyway. The software has just yeah. grown out of all proportion, right? Mm-hmm. Where in 1991... Software engineers were thinking about every byte and every. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, you know, there's acres of disk and RAM, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as people who have traveled, we, Rafa and I have time traveled from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. But we took the long route, right? Yeah, definitely. We took the long route. But we're here to tell you now that uh, it's not that much faster, right? The actual experience of it. The experience, yeah. It's, You're just it's doing basically more. the same. You just, you just do more, more things. Yeah, yeah, you're just doing more. And back again in 1991, digital music. Well, the only digital music in 1991 was audio CDs. I'm sure yeah. most of you know what a CD is. Uh-huh. Uh, although probably a lot of you are not buying them anymore. It would be actually another 10 years... Uh-huh. Um, well, almost 10 years, 1998, before the first MP3 portable music yeah. came out. In and fact, I remember them coming out. I still have with me right here somewhere. I have. I would need to search for it, but I think yeah. it's in the back there. I have a an MP3 player from yeah. 1999. No. Or 1990, yeah, 1999, I think, well, 1998 that, also. That was pretty... And you know where I got it, actually? At the CES. 
No, did it you? It was like, whoa, portable. It was that, not this one. It was from Creative Labs, but it looks Creative almost Labs, that right. same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Creative Labs. Well, strangely, when I was reading about this very first one made by Sehan Information Systems uh-huh. in South Korea, in 1998, that was shown at CES, yeah, and a number of countries, uh, companies signed up to license the product and rebrand it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So maybe Creative, Creative was Labs. one of them. It, it looks... They did... They, all, they kind yeah. of all look like that, didn't it's they? It's pretty similar. Just the, the, the casing was a slightly different. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Little same LCD function, screen, uh, right. buttons. Pretty similar, yeah. Little LCD We're going to put the image probably in the, in the, in the show notes so you can see it. And, yeah, you should filter it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that was 1991. Um I've also, eight. Put, I've also put a picture in my in the notes that the car I had in 1991, which me and Rafa have just been laughing about. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. So yes. back to 1991 and blockchain. Yes. Right? Uh, a very important moment occurred, which was two Americans, uh-huh. Stuart Haber and W. Scott Stonetta. Yes. They described a cryptographically secured chain of blocks in a journal of cryptology in 1991. Uh-huh. And just to make it clear, cryptology is nothing to do with cemeteries or graves. Or crypt, not, have no, nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that, right? It's to do with... Um, encryption. Encryption, uh, hiding information, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. Anyway, in the Journal of Cryptology in 1991, these two guys, these two Americans, they published a document called How to Timestamp a Digital Document. And that is the is, beginning. Is the beginning because this uh, started to get really, really common to, to, to do this uh, yeah. timestamping of documents as official. Yeah. Saying, okay, this is an official document released yeah. and... Because at the time, we didn't have digital signatures. No. And, it, and they're not in that common Which, use. Anyway, now, anyway... If you think about it, yeah. how much different is and and nowadays digital signature to compare to that? Yeah. Basically still an algorithm it's, that it's creates cryptographically a, yeah. public and private keys, exactly. blah blah blah. Right? But this is the thing. Blockchain basically mm. is the way to encrypt yeah. the information to certify that it's Exactly. You have a timestamp of our day and so on. And unalterable. Uh-huh. And we'll come to that shortly. Yeah. So that was in 1991 where they came up with that. And uh, a year later, uh, they actually got together with another guy. His name is Bayer, but I've not, uh-huh. I've not been able to find any trace of that person on the internet, which clearly, in my view, must lead to a conspiracy theory. Yes, of course. Maybe that... Men in black or somebody. Well, I think it's either, I don't know, uh, who could it be? It could be anybody. A time traveller. Who? We've done time travel. Yeah. He could have been one. Uh Uh-huh. You cannot find that person on the internet. Nowhere. Whereas the other two, they're still alive, they work at companies, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in 1992, one year later... Uh, Mr. Haber and Mr. Stonetta, the Americans, yeah. um, they um, published another paper uh, with this guy, Bayer, uh, where they included a thing called Merkle trees. We'll come to that in a minute. And basically what the inclusion of Merkle trees did was it improved 
the, uh, the efficiency, efficiency yeah. of the whole thing, the security of it, and by allowing several documents to be collected into one block, hence yeah. the very beginning of the concept of it wasn't called blockchain at the time. No, no. It was actually called, believe it or not, a chain of blocks. That's what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays, because maybe if you don't know, Merkley trees actually yeah. is now the common name to say hash. hash. Yeah, it's a hash tree. It's a hash. Yeah. Well, it, the reason why they called it a Merkel tree was because uh, uh-huh. they named it after the guy who, who invented it. invented right? it, yeah. Or yeah. discovered it or revealed it or developed it. And he was another American, a computer scientist called Ralph see Merkel mm-hmm. and he's still around blah 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 so a Merkel just to go back to the document they published in another journal uh-huh. security and computer science it actually didn't appear till the 1993 but this improved uh, system concept with Merkel trees um, was called improving the efficiency and reliability of digital timestamping so obviously yeah. it built on their previous document and it included Merkle trees after our friend Mr. Merkel. And a Merkle tree is what we call today commonly a hash tree. Uh-huh. And it's a way of ensuring that blocks of data belong together. together. We're beginning to see chains of blocks here, right? And I think people right now might be a little more familiar with it. Yeah. Because... For example, when you download certain official data from, I don't know, let's say that you want to get into Linux. Right. And you download a distribution. You can download the hash to compare, to certify that that has not been tampered. Right. So maybe like these people start to realize, oh, I know what hash means. That gives you a little idea of... Yeah, there's parallel. Yeah. So so basically, uh, a hash tree helps ensure that data blocks received from... This is a side benefit. Yeah. uh, That you can use a hash tree uh, to ensure that data blocks received from other peers or computers in a network are received undamaged and unaltered, which is what what we are talking about. Yeah. And even to check that the other peers or computers are not lying by sending fake blocks. Mm -hmm. So you can see that... By 1993, the kind mm-hmm. of fundamental information was out there, right? Yeah. It was out there. Now, clearly, this is all super geeky, nerdy stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were into this back then, you probably didn't go out much. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm pretty sure you weren't married, right? Yeah. And I doubt very much whether you got invited to many parties, right? Um, <laughs> Probably not, yeah. (laughs) I just don't believe it. So so basically, at this point, it's all really geeky stuff, but these isolated developments, and there were others along the way, we're not covering them all, but they laid the foundations what was going to happen next, which was... Oh, yeah. ...over a decade later, right? So... 2008. Clearly, this information was mushing around out there. People Mm -hmm. were doing stuff, looking at it. Yeah, actually, a lot of this uh, concept started to get used also for other things. Even then, right? Yes, Mm. uh, because this concept of uh, having the tree Mm. in which individual... It's a common 
thing, right? And software. another thing that you can think about of a similar mm. way of working, in a way, is BitTorrent. Yeah. Or, or the distribution platforms that started to happen in the early days, like Napster, for example. Exactly. exactly. It was a, the dynamically distributed information. There was no centralized yeah. uh, copies. And you needed a way of verifying, verifying that, it was that it was the correct. real one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of concept was applied before, oh. not necessarily to the currency now, but the idea of having yeah. a decentralized location and yeah. distributed like that. Yeah. Happen in other areas as well, well not the, only in here. I think the thing about probably a lot of people listening don't really understand what a hash is, uh-huh. but it's kind of like it's a one-way cryptographic process. Yes. So uh, it, you could put into a hashing – I mean, in my current development project, I use hashes to verify um, subscribers and all this stuff, right? Uh-huh. So, for example – uh, in my in my current development, uh, I'll not be giving anything away by saying that um, <laughs> the uh, server that sits on the in the cloud, uh, the user can input an email address, their email address, mm-hmm. which is pushed through a, a one-way cryptographic process, and it produces this big long string of numbers and letters. The letters it's combined gibberish, right? Yes. Now the thing about so you don't send the plain text, you send the cryptographic mm-hmm. uh, output. And at the server end, at the other end... You decrypt. Well, this is the thing about a yeah. hash, is it's one First way, right? Also. It's one way. So so you, what you've received is this cryptographic result, of which was an email address when it started out, and you've got on your server a list of members' email addresses... So what you do is you go through the email addresses, hashing them, and find the one that compares with the one you've received. You compare the hashes, mm-hmm. and that tells you which subscriber it is in your list without the subscriber having to send his plain email. Yeah. And this is the thing, right? It's a, And the thing about a hash is you can't reverse it. Mm-hmm. You can't take a, a hash output and get yeah. back. You can't do it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. When I say you can't do it, anything's possible, but it, it's <laughs> not worth the effort to do it. Right? Yeah. So, moving is, on. Yeah. We reached 2008. Yeah. Next stage. Yeah. And uh, it, it became very famous, this guy. Uh, it's a. Oh, I did. Yeah. His name is Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, sounds very Who blade. is he? Sounds very Blade Runner to me. I Blade think. Runner or very, I don't know, yeah. Kill Bill or... Yeah, that kind of... Yeah. yeah. Well, what he did is he published the first conceptualized blockchain. Yeah. And the year after, he created Bitcoin. Yeah. That... Using basically, blockchain. he used the technology uh, of the blockchain to be able to create and act as the core yeah. for keeping the ledger yeah. for Bitcoin. Yeah. So what is the what is the, what is the blockchain? The blockchain for? there, he it keeps the date, mm. the transaction, mm. and the amount where it came where from. it came from, and when another person you complete that chain with another block mm. has to verify where it came from as well, mm. and it's a way to tie everything. Mm. So everybody has the same information everywhere, mm-hmm. and if somebody wants to tamper with the ledger, let's say. Mm. You can't 
Oh. All the other servers will reject you, saying this is false information. Yeah. And you just can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the blockchain is used as a ledger or recorder of transactions, uh-huh. right? Um, very importantly, and the thing that uh, Sakamoto uh, solved, which people have been struggling to solve, was the double spend problem. Yes. Which was that prior attempts to create this kind of uh-huh. currency or mechanism allowed potentially copies of a coin to be made and spent twice or more uh-huh. because it's digital right we all know yeah. we all know what happened to music right yeah <laughs> <laughs> every yeah. copy is a perfect rendition of the previous one of the previous and this was a real problem with this concept of digital currency mm-hmm. this double spend thing but uh this guy alleged guy yeah uh solved this problem which is called the double spend problem yeah and um the key concept to grasp about blockchain is that there is no centralized authority mm-hmm. so so Real world currencies, wherever you are, your national currency, of course, yeah, has a central bank, bank, and they essentially control all movements of money through subsidiaries, your local bank, mm-hmm. the bank you have an account with, blah 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 blah. Uh, so essentially, somewhere, shall we say, there is a centralized record of all transactions, which is obviously puts a lot of power in a small place. Yeah. In a small group of hands, which is how governments like it. Yeah, and in a way, that's where we are right now. We reached to this point in which uh, economical and financially power, let's say, it's what... Is is vested in a very small number of hands, right? Uh So the thing about uh, blockchain is that... Let us talk about Bitcoin, obviously. Yeah. So in Bitcoin, every owner of Bitcoins has a copy of the blockchain ledger. Yeah. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. It's completely distributed. Uh Uh-huh. Every time there is a Bitcoin transaction, all the copies of the blockchain ledger get updated. Get updated. And it's a process of propagation across the nodes that are holding the blockchains. And that once a blockchain has been – once a – blockchain transaction has been recorded, it cannot be undone or edited. This no. Is very important, yeah. right? And this is called, this makes the blockchain in, have a quality, and the quality is called immutable, mm-hmm. unchangeable, right? Yeah, so every every person has a copy, which, by the way, now is around 100 giga. It's huge, right? Yeah. It is huge. So if you want to get into that, you need to get at least 100 giga space to, <laughs> right. to start with. Yeah, just uh, get going, right? Yeah, because you need to get your copy of the, of the blockchain. Yeah, that's where you start, right? Uh-huh. And effectively, the blockchain offers an alternative to two core concepts uh, that are kind of uh, embedded in the idea of a physical currency and are considered essential for uh-huh. exchanging value between two parties, which is trust and contract. Uh-huh. Those are the things that are used in physical currencies yeah. to make transactions work. I 
um, I am going to lend you $10 uh-huh. and to make sure that uh, you know that you have to pay me $10, I hire a lawyer who costs <laughs> money, probably more than $10, yes. to write a contract that you sign and I sign. That you law. owe $10. Yeah. So basically, there is no trust. That's why we need a contract, right? There is no trust, right? Yeah. This is why you need contracts. The thing about blockchain is it, it is a zero-trust solution. Mm. You don't have to have trust yeah. because the blockchain itself takes care of the uh, exchange of value and it can't be changed. So it's a very, very important uh, change in uh, creating a means of exchanging value. Without mm-hmm. using without using these real world systems, right? Yeah. So, so just to kind of finish on that, um, these concepts around physical money in the physical world rely on central uh, centralized authorities, banks, and various forms of written and legal contract. That is all replaced by blockchain. You don't need them. Mm-hmm, very, mm-hmm. very important. Definitely. So yeah. then, so let's move on to the next section. How it's actually created, right? This is like Bitcoin 101. This <laughs> we should have called it that, right? Yeah. Now, Bitcoin is produced through the process that everybody knows. I, I think we've all heard the word, right? This term is so uh, now understood, misunderstood. Yes, it's called mining. Yeah. But you are not actually or digging or doing anything related to that. No. Actually, the this mining process is uh, solving all these um, yeah. complex complex calculations yeah. and algorithms. Algorithm mm. work to do with this yeah, proof to do with, of the, work. with the ledger, to do you, with the blockchain. You're actually verifying the ledger. Exactly. Right? You verify. So the more you work, let's say, or on the transactions and you get the the computational process, like says in the notes, yeah, yeah. Uh, is the result of solving those two things, that modifying the blockchain, yeah. and the miner is rewarded with the number of Bitcoins. Exactly. So that's what you do. You get paid. And the blockchain gets updated. Yes, updated for uh, um, certifying for the validating the transactions, exactly. adding it to your blockchain there, and you get a reward for that. Yeah. It's like a payment for a service, right? Yes, putting your... Power, your computer power yeah. to work, yeah, basically. Exactly. exactly. And this reminds me a lot how also another example of a concept similar being used nowadays, mm-hmm. or actually from the old times. Old times? Yeah, I call it the old times because when the, the, previous set, century. the SETI project started, right, and they started to do distributional work oh, with yeah. computer uh, power. Uh, what do they call it? Citizen science, right? Yes. It started with SETI, I think. With SETI. Yeah. So what you were getting is a software. Yeah. They were sending out pieces of the blocks yeah. of information to all around whoever was subscribed. Yeah. You can still sign up. For you it. can still do it nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And your computer process, while it's uh, idle and not yeah. doing anything, yeah. processes all that data of information uh, and sends little, back, boop, looking look. for stuff, looking for the little green guys. Exactly. Send back the information, and then you get rewarded with... Uh, Whatever. Yeah. Actually, in those times, we were like uh, a virtual rate. points or a rating. What was it? What a was virtual you? points or like a rating, oh, you know? Right. So you were... Oh, like cred. Like. More like, you know, yeah, ranking. You are ranking up. Like Web this. cred. Yeah. And then you started to get teams. 
You created teams in which you had members and teams started to rank and people like to compete. And that's how I actually started to develop a lot that project. And this is something similar, let's say. It is. You have uh, uh, your, you put at the disposition of the... Uh, well, you provide the resource. You provide the resource, the yeah. computer power yeah. to do all these processes yeah. and you get some reward in this case, which is Bitcoins. But the reward is more than just... Certainly, Street credit, or fame, right? or yeah. credit. Yeah, it is actually value. Right? It's value, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and apparently, uh, well, not apparently, but the uh, algorithmic complexity that miners have to go through increases uh, as the size of the well, obviously, as the size of the blockchain increases. Of course. So uh, obviously, the blocks are getting bigger as mm. they move along. Um, so, yeah, which brings us to a very interesting thing, which is, so where, how much energy oh, is yeah. being spent doing this mining? That is a, a very common uh, question or, or, yeah. or a detail that people pass uh, over Don't think about when it. they think about, okay, I should invest in mining. I think I, I think I should start a mining node. Yes, right? and then they start to see that, you need to buy the dedicated video cards. Graphics uh, processors. Yes, the graphics processors. Running 24-7. And the amount of power that you consume is crazy. You have to cool them down. And you need to be able to consider that into your calculations yeah. when you would like to invest into that. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, there was a recent estimate uh -huh. that the annual energy consumption, this was for 2018 so far. Wow. The <laughs> The annual energy consumption for just Bitcoin mining. Yeah, forget so about Ethereum forget, and all the other ones. everything else. Uh, the estimate for 2018 is 56 terawatt hours. Now, wow. now in anybody's book, 56 terawatt hours is a lot, right? And it's a million, million watts. Is one terawatt, right? Yeah. And this is 56 times that amount, wow. right? And the cost of this energy is estimated currently to be about $3 billion. So for Bitcoin alone, yeah. it is costing in energy alone $3 billion a year this year. This year? What? Just this year. It's yeah. just going up and up and up and up. Uh -huh, uh -huh. It is unbelievable. My understanding is that somewhere like Iceland or something, the thing about Iceland is quite popular with... Uh, social networks for putting their server farms up there because they yeah. have lots of natural cooling, uh -huh. right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they do. They have huge yeah. server farms up there. And they've also gotten up in those cold countries into doing mining. And I read somewhere a, a few weeks ago that something about the amount of energy being consumed mining Bitcoin, uh -huh. uh, coins, of uh, cryptocurrency coins, yeah. is actually now having an impact on the ability of the Iceland national grid to actually provide power. Power to everybody. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine people who are going to be suffering brownouts because, yeah. oh, you know, we have to put up with this because of the, you know... I need, I need to earn my next... Uh, yeah, my next micro coin or whatever yeah. it is. You know, my one millionth sliver of a Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, the downside of mining is the huge... Uh, energy comes on soon. The numbers I looked at actually said that yes, this amount is being spent, but it, it 
the same report said that the um, what was it the earnings from spending three billion on energy was something like five billion. Yeah. So there's it's clearly profitable. Yes. But it's not something you decide to do lightly, right? Yes, I, I don't know. I think Serious it's lower. Stuff. This thing that I was about to mention also that uh, it's mentioned there that the bigger yeah. the ledger is, let's say, yeah, the, the more. more power you need. Yeah. But the thing is that cryptocurrency, lot of them, mm. they have a certain limit. Limit. We'll come. Yes. To, we'll come we'll to come that. Come in to a that. Moment. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, let's just take a little sidestep of uh-huh. we've all heard seen read in the media about if you just take bitcoin for example yeah. how, how the value of it seems to fluctuate so much right yeah actually i think right now it's more considered to be a like a stocks a stock exchange <laughs> where you have risk well it's it's speculative right? it's speculative a lot yeah it's a it, lot it is speculative and uh the question we kind of posed was so how is the value of a cryptocurrency set, uh-huh. right? And if you actually look at it, there are a number of factors, but the main ones are supply and demand. Uh-huh. Uh, Bitcoin, for example, has a limit of 21 million coins. Yeah. And currently, as of kind of around about now, uh, 80% of the total available coins have been mined, uh-huh. right? Now... Supply and demand is a very fundamental mechanism, as we know, and it tends to work that the unit value of something tends to increase as the supply is constricted, right? Yeah. This is how it works, right? Yeah. So uh, Bitcoin is heading towards max deployment, generally. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I have no idea what happens when it gets to 21. They can do a split, can't they? That's a thing yeah. that most likely they would do a split, yeah. I think. Which is kind of where they go, oh, look, I've just rubbed two Bitcoins together and two Bitcoins fell out. Yeah. It's that kind of, or, a, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. get the old saw on the Bitcoin. Oh, I've got two. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff. Anyway, so supply and demand is one thing that kind of works to set the value. And the other one is what's called utility. Uh-huh. which doesn't actually occur – you don't think about this very much with physical currencies, right? Because uh-huh. it, just, it just works. Use it whatever you, you want. You can just do it whatever you want with it. But again, it's also interesting the fact that uh, even with normal currency, yeah. you are still using sometimes or nowadays uh, mm. this virtual currency. Uh, of course. When you go to your bank online, yeah. basically what you're doing is using a, yeah. a non-existent currency. Yeah. Because there's no way the bank has that money in their vault, I can assure you. No, and there's no, no way that you can say uh, transfer uh, $10 to this guy no. online. What, somebody's going to take on the other side $10 and run to the other bank and put $10? No, it's just it's virtual. Just, it's just, yeah. It's doesn't just, really... It's a digital transfer. Yeah, so I think it's an interesting co- to, to think that we already use somehow yeah. virtual money. Of, yeah, of course, really, yeah. yeah. Uh, so utility in terms of a cryptocurrency is basically comes down to what can you buy and sell with this specific cryptocurrency. And the wider the range of goods and services available to a cryptocurrency owner, the more valuable that cryptocurrency yeah. is perceived to be. So it's a perception thing, right? I, in fact, uh, I think uh, there's a very 
interesting example, which mm -hmm. is about WikiLeaks. Because WikiLeaks, for years, they were ordered to not be able to receive any payments or money or contributions. Therefore, they switched years ago mm -hmm. to accept Bitcoin. Right. And now, they woke up with the fact that they have a lot of money. <laughs> they have a lot of Bitcoins. But <laughs> yeah. you can cash out. Of course, yeah. So, if you can find a buyer. If, yeah. Although nowadays you have in, I have seen even in this city, mm. an ATM where you can go and right. cash out. Right. Mm. So. Yeah, but I wonder what uh, exchange value you get. Yeah, of course, there because is my, dominated by exchange rate, of My course. understanding is that the charges <coughs> can be enormous. Yes, depends. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how you, how it's worked out what the uh -huh. value of a cryptocurrency is. So. How many cryptocurrencies do you think are out there, uh, dear listener? We'll put you out of your misery. Right, <laughs> right now, there are about 1,400. And counting. And counting. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure if we could have, that number would have been mm -hmm. going up by the second. But So now we kind of come to what do governments think about cryptocurrencies? Mm -hmm. I think we've all read some of this stuff, right? And basically, they don't like it. They don't like them. Right? <laughs> they don't like them because... Of the concept that we mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, they can't control they them, They right? do not control it. No. There's not a central position or bank that can control everything. No. Therefore... And you can't stop a new cryptocurrency being created. Yeah, exactly. So, governments don't like them because of their digital nature. They're very difficult to control or regulate and almost impossible to suppress mm -hmm. as a technology, right? Yeah. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean they won't try, right? Uh, as we know. Yeah. So uh, governments, and uh, if you take it, for example, right now, uh, governments, through their various mouthpieces who speak for them and seed stuff into the mm -hmm. media and so on and forth, so forth, they're pushing the idea that Cryptocurrencies are a speculative bubble, and and they are. It is, yeah, to a to a degree. But if you think about it, even normal money is spe speculative bubble as well. Yeah, no, but they control that. So. <laughs> of course, but still, it is. So. That's, that's a legitimate speculative bubble. <laughs> so, so um, interestingly, at the same time uh, that they uh, criticise it and uh, don't like it. At the same time, all major governments and central banks are investigating and assessing the technology, particularly blockchain itself, um, even if not necessarily cryptocurrency. But a number of governments have issued, uh, Brazil issued a cryptocurrency recently, uh, actually backed by oil. So mm -hmm. it's, an actual, it's an actual commodity backed cryptocurrency, yeah. unlike bitcoin which is backed by nothing right yeah mm -hmm. which is what most currencies are anyway most currencies now are, nowadays are backed by not nothing. anymore it used all, to be by gold yeah but no it's just an idea now yeah. right so so we've talked a lot about cryptocurrencies blah blah, blah. we talked about but can blockchain be used for anything else it's very interesting actually mm -hmm. and one way to look at blockchain is that it's an encrypted database of agreements. Mm -hmm. right? Very interesting way of looking at it. This means that potentially once a deal is made, 
neither party can go back on the deal or try to rewrite the terms. This is really important stuff because outside of the scope of blockchain, you need lawyers, you need multiple parties of agreement, blah, blah, blah. You need law, mm-hmm. right? Contract yeah. law. All that is encapsulated in the blockchain technology. You don't need any law. It's in the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Right? This is why it's so uh, dangerous. So the concept is that within blockchain, you can have what's called a smart contract. This is really interesting. So uh, a blockchain-based contract, called a smart contract, holds both parties accountable uh, and only completes the terms of the agreement once both parties have fulfilled their end of the bargain. This is very powerful Mm -hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so blockchain serves as a bookkeeping platform or ledger that's incorruptible, enforces transparency, and bypasses censorship, and of course, mitigates corruption, right? Yeah, you cannot tamper with it. You cannot tamper with it. So effectively, it's a tool for tackling issues like uh, financial, political, and institutional corruption. Mm-hmm. Now, which government is going to welcome that? Right? No. Uh, and this has the potential to create massive social change. And I think, again, this is what worries kind of the existing power structures is yeah. what it means. Right? Because because nowadays governments control through economics, of course they through do. money. Of course they do. And since they have the control of the money, it's like a full circle for them. Yeah. So the fact that they cannot control how somebody's earning their money or how they are spending yeah, it. They don't want that. There's not even rules for that about taxes, I no. think. And we know that the law, legislation in any country, in any developed country, is always like lagging behind technology, right? Definitely. And and they never catch up. Right? No, and we have seen that in almost everywhere. So many cases, right? Yeah. I mean, not everybody has even yet, uh, like, how can we call it an uh, information security police or something like no. that? No. And it sh- they should be everywhere, right? Nowadays, is, you need a lot of those guys because yeah. it happens a lot of crimes are yeah. electronic cr- crimes, if uh, you want to call it, digital yeah. crimes. Yeah. And they don't even know how to advertise the job, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Because they don't know how to actually form the description of the job. Right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're coming to the end. Yes. <laughs> and Rafa... Yeah. Is going to let me yes, of course. give my two lay, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is my two lay. So uh-huh. these are personal thoughts uh-huh. about cryptocurrency, blockchain, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we're going to finish on this. And my personal view of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain technology behind it is that governments don't like it because they are outside of the control of central banks, right? And governments rely on being able to control movements of their official currencies to control and maintain its value, to levy taxes on earnings made in that currency, and to stimulate inflation in their economies to reduce the value of their citizens' savings, right? This is, this mm-hmm. is bread and butter stuff in all developed economies. Uh, and that's without mentioning the value of any specific country's financial sector, uh, relying relying as it does on the old 
trust contract way of doing things in the physical world. So imagine a world where beyond cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology smart contracts replace the requirement for traditional lawyer-drafted contracts mm-hmm. uh, for a wide range of financial activities and instruments, buying, selling a house, buying, selling a car, uh, you know, buying a washing no. machine, doesn't matter what it is, right? The inevitable loss of earnings and prestige and influence for these entrenched institutions that write these contracts and enforce trust, mm-hmm. in my view, may well ultimately exceed the predicted impact of AI and robotics in the coming decade. It is going to decimate these industries, blockchain, if it's allowed to take root. Right? Mm-hmm. It's going to decimate them. And this is at the same time as globally there are huge government-led efforts to attempt to seriously reduce or eliminate, if possible, the black market or economy, mm-hmm. which is, as far as governments are concerned, are just lost tax revenues, right? And amazingly, in 2000, I couldn't believe this number, in 2011, it was estimated that the total value of the global black market was $10 trillion in one year year mm-hmm. 2011 and that if that market was a country it would be the second largest economy on this planet right yeah now this is this is why this is what is behind in my view this is my view this is why i believe there's a push towards cashless economies all this stuff with touch uh, credit and all this mm-hmm. touch debits cards and all this stuff, near-field cards and all this stuff, it is being driven by a desire, a central government desire, to eliminate cash because that's how they get control. If everything is digitally recorded as a transaction... It's easier to trace them. You can't have a cash economy, right? Mm -hmm. And at some point, we will find that governments will start to withdraw higher denomination notes, right? This is what will happen. Yeah. Right? So basically, this drive towards a cashless economy is dressed up for the consumer as convenience, yeah. but actually is the uh, it's just a front for what is actually going on in the background. So cryptocurrencies are a threat to governmental efforts globally to uh, try to reduce or eliminate the black market and the biggest danger in my view is if a virtual crypto if a cryptocurrency emerges that is relatively stable mm-hmm. rather than being very volatile and has a high utility that is in other words you can use it for real world stuff that would signal the beginning of a real first time global currency mhm and the inevitable weakening of state control of citizens' wealth, mm-hmm. and it would increase the democratization of wealth distribution. Certainly, this has a lot of impact. For example... Um, That's my two lay, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in the fact that um, to create a worldwide currency, <laughs> it's easier to do it if it's virtual... It's the only way. It's the only way, actually, yeah. yes. And second, uh, 
this facilitate a lot facilitates a lot the development that we have been talking a lot mm. in previous podcasts related to universal income yeah. which has been a discussion lately again in the media mm -hmm. uh, because of the more uh, well the uh, volatility in economies now not only in economies but uh, the jobs uh, yeah. being threatened uh, by threatened by AIs mm. and so on yeah uh again, is gaining a lot of strength, that uh, discussion of uh, mm. universal income. Mm. And one way to deal with this universal income in an easier way, in a relatively easier way, is to have these virtual currencies. Yeah. And what if you had... The a, cost of doing it is, in the end becomes... Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. And what if you had a, what if you had a global currency that you could deliver... No matter where you go. You don't lose anything. Yeah, you could deliver universal income to any point in the world that somebody was, right? Yeah. And, of course, one thing that I forgot to mention is that there is actually inverted commas a global currency that is actually used in the background to do what are, what are called settlements globally. And that, mm -hmm. surprise, surprise, is the US dollar, mm. right? So there is a lot of contracts and stuff and going on globally all the time. Yeah. But at the bottom of it, the contracts quite often are settled in dollars. Yes. Because right? everybody yes. agrees that's the standard, right? Mm -hmm. Again, this is a threat to that. Definitely. So there's a lot of very powerful, uh -huh. very powerful forces lined up to yeah. not want this to happen. And uh, also to finish, if you, like uh, some recommendations... If you are wanting to mine or to get into cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. first of all, in, invest the money that you are sure you can afford to lose 100%. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> Second, if you are going to invest in creating a mining rig, yeah. please uh, research very carefully what are you buying, yeah. how much investment you actually need, and how much time it's going to take you to Uh, to get anything to get their investment back yeah so be mindful of all these things now mm. and if you think you can do all those then off you go off you go good and have luck. fun good yeah. luck yeah yeah good luck so we're living very interesting times mm -hmm. clearly mm -hmm. um, so that's our cryptocurrency 101 yes this was uh, <laughs> um Uh, how we say one blockchain to rule them all yeah one blockchain to rule them all I I yeah I, I learned some stuff doing this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you did yeah yeah um, it's interesting that what is behind all this stuff definitely and what the implications are so are thank done? you yeah thank you Carl thank you Ron. see you next week yep. down the rabbit hole Bye. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved, Dark Mind Radio 2017.